Right, we're on chapter 26. Before I get started, chapter 27 is in the library over on the back shelf, so you can pick that up today uh, before, you, before you leave. We most likely will be starting on it next Lord's Day. Chapter 27 deals with the sacraments, and you'll see when you get the material, there's kind of a little introductory aspect to that chapter that we've not had in many of the others that I can think of. And the main reason are there are some catechism questions that deal with some things that the confession doesn't, kind of like the Ten Commandments. Um, so uh, th there is this part where we'll consider some things from the catechism, uh, larger and shorter, that relate to that chapter. Chapter 27 deals with the sacraments. Um, so we'll look at that, uh, and we'll start with that introductory part, and then the whole chapter's there. So grab it, and um, so you'll have it next week. All right, back to chapter 26. Chapter 26, Communion of Saints. And again, um, just as a, a matter of, of review and repetition, there must be union with Christ. Right? There must be union with Christ. And it's the union with Christ that provides us with a union with each other. Right? As saints. That's the only way there is this union, one with the other, uh, in, in this capacity, in this relationship. And that's through Christ. Right? And then as we have union with Christ, as we have union one with the other, we then can then have communion with Christ and communion with each other. And in fact, this morning, we'll be doing something that involves all of it, as it were. As we come to the Lord's table, it's a reminder of our union, how that union came to be. What Christ did for us in order to bring that union to pass. And then in doing so, we meditate and we consider the benefits that flow to us. And remember, we've talked about the communion, the, the mutual benefiting one of the other, whatever the one brings uh, to the relationship that the other uh, it benefits the other, and that's part of the communion. And that's what we will be doing today. And then as we do this collectively together, we are in communion in worship, one with the other, as we're in communion with Christ around the table. So it encompasses everything that we've considered in this chapter. It's not necessarily unique that way, but there aren't a lot of things that would bring all of it into the picture that I can think of right offhand, that would bring all of it into our consideration at one time. So just uh, as, as we come around the table, you can keep that in mind. Now I want to just take a look at 26.2. I'm on page 654. Um, and that's where we, we, we left off last week. Westminster Confession of Faith, paragraph 26.2. Saints by profession are bound to maintain an holy fellowship and communion 
in the worship of God and in performing such other spiritual services as tend to their mutual edification, as also in relieving each other in outward things according to their several abilities and necessities, which communion, as God offereth opportunity, is to be extended unto all those who, in every place, call upon the name of the Lord Jesus. So the expansive nature of this communion, we are in union with every believer in Christ. Right? And so wherever we may be, we may have a visitor here from wherever the furthest point you could be, from wherever in the world that would be from here. They could be here. And there'll be that communion. And there would be that obligation, as it were, to minister to perhaps their needs, uh, whatever it may be, so there is, as we can. So that, uh, and it's, it's, a special, it's a special relationship. But we considered last week, with our question one, what are the marks of a properly functioning communion of believers? We talked about the worship together. And that worship together, I'll throw this in, I don't think I've mentioned it, but certainly there is argument here that that includes or would involve membership in a local body, right? As part of that communion and that fellowship and that benefiting, all right? Uh, there is uh, that aspect of it uh, for you to consider. But the worship, right? Communion, holy fellowship, and communion in the worship of God. Coming together to worship. Kind of hard to have oneness of a body when the body's never even physically together, as it were, as one. Right? You, you, you wouldn't imagine a marriage where the husband and wife never saw each other. Well, they might talk to one another, but they never face-to-face. -face. No, it wouldn't last. At least we don't think it would. Uh, there is something unique and special about, if I can put it this way, the eye contact. Right? So, the coming together to worship. Second thing we considered was the mutual edification. And we've talked about that two or three times, how the body is to work together, right? What every part brings, working together for the mutual edification of the body, of the individuals. And the body, yes, but the building up, the solidifying, the helping that body grow and helping the, the parts that maybe aren't as fully developed come along and mature whereas the others bear some later but then some that are beyond they're carried along by the younger then just like your body does right uh, so we have this mutual edification then we looked at the mutual tangible help in the in the passages we have the proof text helping one another, meeting needs, um, 
and we'll talk a little bit more about that in, in the next paragraph, uh, what, what obligation is there. Uh, but I want to look at a fourth thing that's not mentioned directly in this paragraph, but I think it's important, and it's something that I, maybe it's a hobby horse that I ride or whatever. But take a look, if you would, turn to John 13. And this last element, because again, what are the marks of a properly functioning communion of believers? Well, in John 13, verse 34 and 35. A new commandment, and this is Christ talking, right? Talking to his disciples. A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another, as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. Why? Tells us in 35, by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples. There is something physically observable in Christians loving one another. Something that the world will take note of is what Christ is telling his disciples. I want you to be different so that the world understands a little bit how you love one another reflects what? Why is it that we love one another? What is it we are trying to reflect in doing that? What do you think? Chris? All right. Well, and, and Christ, I don't know, I didn't hear exactly. Our love for Christ, but really you're reflecting Christ's love for us. Right? Because it's a unique love, isn't it? It's a unique way in, in, in the sense of, of what the world expects and how we generally act one toward another. It's different. What Christ did for us, men didn't do for each other. Men couldn't. But to lay down your life, but that's really what Christ, we're told. I want you to love one another so that you're willing to lay down your life one for the other. I want the world to see how I love you through how you love one another. Right? Now, that's not the only reason, because this is part of that mutual benefit, that edification, that communion that we have one with another, and the benefits that flow from that, the encouragement the help, the consolation, the praise, the worship, all these things. Joining voices together to sing. That's all part of it too. But Christ here telling us, I want you to love one another and I want it to be so obvious that the world takes note.
By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. Okay? Turn on over to Colossians. Let's kind of work our way through it. Now, there, this, this isn't exhaustive by any means. I just want to give you some thoughts, and, and then you can take them and, and go with them. Colossians chapter 3. Well, let, before you do, uh, John 15, another passage there was uh, John 15, 12, and 13. I'll just read those. This is my commandment that ye love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And who did that? Christ. So what kind of love is Christ talking about? The kind of love that will take and, and cause somebody to be willing to lay down their life for their friends. And then verse 17, these things I command you, that ye love one another. Do you think it was an important message in Christ? It, what he was trying to convey to his disciples? Over and over and over. I want you to love one another. I want you to love one another. I want you to love one another so that the world sees it and so that you enjoy it. Because there is an enjoyment. If you've had a situation, and I'm sure you have, a parent, a brother, a sister, a spouse, whatever the relationship where you love somebody, that relationship and that love that you understand, that you see, that you feel, that you experience is special. It's special. That's why it's so difficult, is it not? When the Lord takes somebody home to be with him that you loved and that loved you, it gets hard because you miss it. And I dare say that if someone was around you when you were in the company of this person, then know you loved each other. It'd be obvious by the way you talked, by the way you listened, by the way you greeted, any number of ways. It's not hard to see when it's exhibited before you. That's what Christ is asking for us to do. Colossians 3 verses 10 through 16, and have put on the new man. See, it's not the old man. It's not what we're used to. It's not what the old man's going to do. And have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge. Knowledge is a big thing. In knowledge, after the image of him that created him, being Christ-like, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor, nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, 
long-suffering, forbearing one another, and forgiving one another, if any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness, of completion. Right? When you can love in a Christ-like way, you've matured as a Christian. Right? When you can do it the way we're reading here, you, you have come a long ways from where you started. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body. There's the communion. And be ye thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. See the communion? You see what this fellowship is doing? It's Maybe this is a too strong a word for, for here, but it's tolerating one another in love. Which means I care. I can live with the problems, with the imperfections, because I care. Christ. loves us notwithstanding all of our imperfections. And he keeps loving us notwithstanding all of our imperfections. Imperfections that are so great as to, at times, make us afraid to even say we belong to him. imperfections that make us feel a little embarrassed in a given set of people we're, we're with. Okay? What we are to do one with the other is what Christ does with us in those circumstances. Right? That's, that's what he's... Because you're one. There's the communion. You're one in Christ. If you're one in Christ, you go lopping off the arm. Ah, that arm touched the unclean thing. Chop it off. Hmm. Is that the way you'd want Christ to deal with you? When you touch the unclean, you're not part of my body anymore. But that's the way we act sometimes. You know, there's, um, there's this conflict that goes on. I say conflict. It's not a conflict, but it can be. We talk about the church militant, right? The church militant. Take a stand. Oppose that which is evil. 
And we should. We should. So the, the key here, the hard part, is the church militant is against sin and Satan. All right? But sometimes we want to be the church militant against ourselves. you imagine an army that gets up and starts swinging the sword at each other? Jordan? They tend to what? I said, fellow Christians tend to be a less intimidating enemy than Satan. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a lot easier. In one sense, you know, who do you fight with maybe the most? The people in your own family. Why? Because they're, they're the less intimidating. And so we become the church militant fighting with ourselves more than with sin and Satan. And we forget about being the, the loving church, the compassionate church in dealing one with the other. It's a hard balance. But when you take up the sword as a church militant, as a believer militant, and you start swinging it at your fellow believer, you best be careful. Because it's not hard to imagine a body that does that to itself. Ah, that finger's infected. Before long, there's not much but a stub, is there? And what good's that going to? What kind of a testimony is that? Is that what the word? You know, you, you you hate what some of these people say and do and stand for. But do you ever get yourself admiring how much some of these people stick together no matter what? All right. No matter how wrong they are, no matter how wrong they know they are, they stick together. They protect one another. They help one another. Much more so sometimes than believers do, one for the other. It's not the way it should be. Not the way it should be. Can you... And, and help me out here. Can you think of any place in the New Testament and, and I can think of two or three but think of things in the New Testament. Now the Old Testament we see the Israelites going in with a sword and slaying and, and conquering. Right? In the New Testament can you think of examples of where as it were Christians were encouraged to take up the sword, to, to do something in a militant way. Can you help me out here? Just think through and see. 
you know, we have, we have Paul, don't we? Writing the churches and saying, now, now these people, you know, they're, they're teaching the wrong thing. They're, they're doing the wrong thing. Kick them out of the church. We have that, don't we? Yeah. So we've got a few examples of that. Anything else you can think of? You certainly don't have the church being called to take up the sword and take on the ungodly Romans or Greeks or whatever, do you? Beth? Well, purity, but purity in relation to people, because I'm talking about actual doing something against somebody. Okay, no, no, and, and I think maybe you're headed, so in like Corinthians, all right, Corinthians, we've got a number of things. Hey, this shouldn't be happening in the body, correct it. We have in the churches. In Revelation. All right? You got this problem. You need to repent. But that's Christ talking there. I'm talking about one believer with another believer. The church with the church. The minister to the people. And obviously you've got in the letters, Paul's letters particularly, you've got things where Paul is admonishing But I can't think of a lot of places where you've got just one believer going against another. It may be there. I'm not saying it's, it's not. So if we come across some things, maybe we can talk about them more next week or something. But my point is, in the New Testament, the, the mark that is emphasized in Scripture more than any other mark that I can think of is this aspect of love and what it looks like. I want you to be a church that knows how to love like Christ loved you. And I want it to show. And that's, that's the way I take it. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm taking it too strongly. But I don't think so. I don't think so. Because it's unique. It's unique. A couple of more passages. First Thessalonians. And if y'all have thoughts, you know, feel free to holler. First Thessalonians. I'll keep flipping pages and it's about two pages over from where I am. Jordan. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and, and I mean, you had, oh, oh, I, I, main example. Who, who withstood who? Remember, if you want to talk about kind of equals, who withstood who? Paul and who? Not Barnabas, but Peter. Paul and Barnabas, with, and Barnabas, they had their difference too, yes, concerning John Mark. 
So yes, you had that one, Paul and Barnabas, but, but Paul and Peter, okay? When Peter was friendly with the Gentiles, right? Then some of his Jewish brethren showed up and what did he do? He, I, you folks, I can't fellowship with you because you're not circumcised. And Paul took him to task, right? He said, no, 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 no. That's not right. That's not right. And he did it publicly. The only time I can think of maybe that he did it publicly, he did it within the context of the church. And again, we think of church today the way we experience church. Church then was a whole different thing. But he did it for the good of the church. Because what Peter was doing was not loving. Right? Not loving. Beth? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And we know that who the Lord loves, he what? Mm-hmm, he chastens. So this love, whom the Lord loves, the chastening comes from love. So the chastening is going to be, if I can put it this way, a loving chastening. All right? A loving chastening. So the person you're chastening understands where it's coming from and why. It doesn't mean they'll accept it. It doesn't mean they'll take it well. But it's got to be done. Yeah, you ignore the little infection, and before long you do have to cut the arm off. Right? Or it just rots and drops off the way some churches yeah. Jack? Paul, on the other hand, is pretty clear how he feels about sin within the body. In 1 Corinthians 5.11 and other places, he says, But now I have written unto you not to keep company. If any man that is called a brother be a fornicator or covetous or an idolater or a railer or a drunkard or an extortionist, is such a one And it's, it's interesting, and again, it would make an interesting study. It's interesting, Paul seems in, in Scripture, it seems to me that when you've got somebody that's not repentant, you, you, you just separate from them. You don't try to crucify them. You just separate from them. Right? You correct them, you point out their error to them, but if they won't hear you, it's what happens in the church. Right? Somebody's in sin, called into the elders, presented with this, and they say, I don't really care what y'all think. No, I'm not going to change. I don't see that I'm wrong. 
I don't think scripture teaches that. I don't really think God has a right to tell me how to live my life. I mean, you get all kind of responses. Not in this church, I'm thankful to say, that we've never had that situation totally quite that blunt. But in, in, in part, that's what they're doing. The church cuts them off, separates itself from them. Well, in the world view, that, I don't know. Because even the ungodly discipline their kids. I think if somebody wants to find fault with that, they can, certainly, and, and criticize. But that's where we're acting one toward the other as far as what God expects of us, demands of us, how we deal one with the other. Jordan. in your house. <laughs> I realized I had a significant role in this in that this was starting as a smaller issue. Something wrong, a misbehavior, a wrong attitude was being expressed or something, but it was small. And I had an opportunity in love to correct and redirect and check something that was developing there. Mm -hmm. And so if we set ourselves up for these conflicts by not being appropriately involved in the lives of other believers and being a, a help and support to them. Yeah, and with the child, it, it's, it's, it's much easier with the proactive early. With an adult, you would hope that there is a maturity that would appreciate and understand even though you've let it go I'm not saying that you don't still be proactive and try to do it early but what you trust and for those who say yes I'm a believer well that carries with it a number of things not the least of which is I'm willing to be under those in authority over me I'm willing to have you correct me please you know um, I make a mistake in here. I say something totally wrong. I hope you'll come and say, Mr. Farr, what in the world were you thinking? I hope you do it in a nice way. You know, please don't come and say, you, know, you really shouldn't be teaching. You are really dumber than anything I've ever seen or experienced. And that may be true, but be kind at least. So, Paul.
And, and I mean, our backgrounds even. You right. grow up in a Christian community, grow up in a Christian home and church and whatnot. Somebody who has never experienced that, hasn't got a clue what an right. inside of a church looks like or who Christ is or whatever. And, and how all of a sudden those two come together. And how, how you interact. I mean, it's, it's not easy. It's not easy. And it takes love on both sides. Okay, I, I can take it, I can, I can deal with it, and I have to understand that. Beth? Yeah, I mean, and, and in those situations, the love of believers is quite evident, how, how they act. I, I'll refer you back. Stephen, is the, uh, is the clip up still with the coffee, the Pearl Mountain? The, the, is that still on, on your sermon audio? So, so it, just, it just crossed my mind, him talking and, and dealing with these children and teaching them and sharing with them the gospel and these children go back to their homes and in there they talk about the, the, the abuse over there is is severe is, is bad right and um, when these children come to know the Lord and and you can watch it but the, the parent beating them or whatever they said um, you know, they, they didn't respond the way they usually do. The children, you know, fight back or run away or whatever. And then the parent, what's going on? And it's, it's okay, mommy, I understand. I, and and I'm, I love you. And, and th this testimony, and in turn, what wound up happening were parents wound up coming to the missionary, what's going on with my kids? Okay, they're not the same. They're different. If you've never watched that, it's worth watching. Um, promote the coffee too. That's uh, that's where this came from, Pearl Mountain Coffee. But um, it, and it's true. We live in a culture that has been influenced by Christianity wonderfully. We're blessed. But then we take so many things for granted. Well, foot, if I don't like it, I'm going to take your head off. There are people who grow up in a country who if they don't like you, they take your head off. And we don't have to deal with that. 
All right. Um, my time's gone. I don't want to start because if I do, I'll be 10 or 15 minutes too, too long. So we'll finish this up. It's good. It's good. I, I hope. Um, and, and think about it and think if you come up with examples um, next week, uh, if, you, if you think of anything in Scripture where you see this, but it just seems to me the emphasis in the New Testament is so much the aspect of love, and it's described several times. Well, this is what love does. This is what it looks like. So why did God so emphasize it? It's his word. And over and over and over, here's what you ought to be looking, doing. Why? Probably because it's what we ought to be doing. Okay? So, let's, uh, we'll, we'll consider it, finish up. Chapter 27 is available in the, in the library in there, and you can grab that, and we'll maybe get started on it next week as well. Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you for your word, Lord, for the things you've told us. Lord, we confess that we fall far short far too often, and we ask your forgiveness. Lord, even as we come today, how hard it is to get our minds and our hearts to focus sometimes and, and to be prepared to worship, uh, to come around your table properly. Lord, help us, we pray. By your spirit, teach us and mold us and make us to be more Christ-like. Lord, in all that we do and say and with all the relationships that we are involved with, Lord, we, we owe you so much. And we're thankful that you loved us with a love that's beyond our comprehension, with a love that bore our sin and, and took the penalty and the wrath of God. so that we would be spared of that and that we might have life eternal. So much, so much. Lord, help us in our praise and our worship this day. Make it be a good day for your people, for us, Lord, for us. And we'll thank you for it, for we pray it in Christ's name. Amen.